I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Being a young activist, being a change maker is not a hobby. It's a lifestyle. We can't just use us being young as a tool to get us being heard. We actually have to be smart and think three times ahead of the game. You're listening to Crazy Smart Asia, a podcast exploring the unexpected stories of Asia's disruptors. I'm your host, Tamara Lemunier. What were you doing at the age of 12? This week's guest was establishing her own NGO, which convinced one of the world's biggest plastic polluters to change its ways. Growing up in Bali, young activist Milati Wizen was highly disturbed by the amount of plastic washing up in the ocean. Indonesia is the world's second biggest plastic polluter, and the island of Bali alone generates enough plastic waste to fill 14-story buildings every day. Along with her sister Isabel, she founded Bye Bye Plastic Bags to tackle the issue head-on. The grassroots youth movement quickly grew and Milati went from beach cleanups with friends to meetings with the highest level of government, collecting 100,000 signatures and even going through a hunger strike. Last year, the campaign reached a breakthrough moment when single-use plastics were banned on the island. And she isn't stopping there. Milati, now 19, and her sister launched Youthtopia at Davos, a platform for young people to come together to accelerate change. Milati talks with Genty editor Lee Williamson about the power of youth, how to get leaders to listen, and why we mustn't return to business as usual. Here's her conversation. So, Milati, a lot of people... Um listen to this podcast will probably already know the origin story of Bye Bye Plastic Bags, or at least heard something about the organization. Um, but to start us off, can you give us um, the origin story of the organization? How did you come to, to found it? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it brings me back a little bit because, um, you know, I did start at 12 years old. I'm 19 today. So um, way back when I was uh, 12 years old, my sister was 10, we had this lesson at school about significant people, people who throughout history really made a difference in their local communities. Uh, Lady Diana, Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi, and they were so inspirational. Imagine, you know, think back to the very first time you heard their stories. Uh, my sister and I just simply went home that day and said, well, what can we do now in our local communities to take action? We didn't want to wait until we were older. So enough was, uh, you know, said, we brainstormed, and the next thing you know, we created Bye Bye Plastic Bags without a business plan, a strategy, but just uh, really the pure intention to do something you, for our home. You were 12, to, to be fair to you, about the lack of a business plan. That's true. That's true. I uh, still today am I'm figuring out what business plans really look like in order to change the world. Yeah, good luck with that. So uh, really impactful lesson at school, and then you founded the organization, and then where did it go from there? Well, yeah, I mean, also just to take a step back, right, because growing up on the island of Bali also had a lot to do with where we are today. Um, you know, we, we have really the privilege to be in a home that's surrounded by nature. 
Um, so my sister and I woke up every day and we could run through the rice fields. We would hear the ocean going to sleep. And, you know, it really made a huge impact of how our passion evolved for the environment. So starting bioplastic bags was also because we had that strong connection. But, you know, once we started, we really, um, the biggest thing we, we knew we had to get in place was a team. Uh, that was really lesson number one. You cannot do it by yourself. So we started gathering our best friends, uh, got together, had team meetings at snack time and lunchtime <laughs> every chance we got. And uh, we just started mobilizing. Honestly, it was, you know, one small action to the next from beach cleanups all the way to meetings with government. But let's look at the issue at hand first. So what exactly is the extent of the situation, the, the plastic problem that we face right now? Mm-hmm. Well, zooming in a little bit to um, home here in Indonesia, we are the second largest source of marine plastic pollution. Um, you know, it is really an in-your-face problem. Unlike sometimes when I visit certain countries, you know, where there is a, an established waste management system in place where, you know, people consume and then when they throw away, they don't see it. Here in Indonesia, we're so confronted with the issue, it there is literally no escaping it. Um, so, you know, for for two little sisters that grew up surrounded by it, we could even tell at such a young age that plastic was ending up in places that it shouldn't, right? I think it's about 700 plastic bags, uh, 700 plastic bags per person every year is being used here in Indonesia alone, right? And that's massive because sometimes, you know, we don't even, we're not able to, I'm not really a numbers person either, so uh, those statistics don't get me, but just seeing it and living with it, uh, that's what really made me and my sister take action. So obviously, um, pretty remarkable that you at 12 and your sister at 10 started an organization that has had as much impact as it has had. Um, I want to talk for a little bit about youth and uh, and potentially it's uh, youth as a barrier, maybe youth as a benefit as well. Um, What's been your experience? I mean, did you have trouble people taking you seriously to begin with? I think, you know, if you if you Think about it, which me and my sister really didn't when we first started. Uh, we were way out of our league. You know, we had this massive vision, um, only coming out of passion, bringing us to the front line of, of where we really wanted to see change happen. But yes, we had to work for, um, you know, a seat at the table. We had to work for the actual seriousness and the same level of commitment from governments as much as that we were putting in ourselves. Um, but through persistence and through commitment, we were able to achieve that. And what about now? I mean, now, you know, the media are pretty, you know, we're like an angle. You know, your youth is like kind of a USP, if you will. Is that something that you've seen exploited or stories are just always about that that frustrate you? Or is that something that just you see to your benefit now because it helps you get media coverage? If I had an organization... I wouldn't have that angle, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, is it something that you use to your benefit? It is definitely an advantage I think we had without even knowing. Um, I don't think my sister and I used it as a, a marketing tool or, you know, for us to get the attention we felt we deserved just purely through the work that we were giving. Um, but definitely now what you can see is the uprise of youth movements. Um, what I honestly believe is just like any other organization, business, no matter how old you are, it all has to do with the intention that you bring onto the table. And I think that our generation has a unique standpoint because our intention um, comes from a place of not only urgency, but something that's necessary for the time that we're living in. So, you know, I, I, I do enjoy seeing a lot more young people in all corners of the world rising, but I also 
hope that it is all coming from the right intentions, not from a place of pressure, and definitely not from a place of, you know, a jumping board, so to say, that it gets you into your college of the dreams. Because being a young activist, being a change maker is not a hobby. It's a lifestyle. Just quickly back on uh, on age. I mean, as you say, in some way, it wasn't intentional, but it was a USP which helped you with your marketing. I also imagine it must have helped you in, in another way in that, A, you your generation is very much aware of this issue because you've grown up mm. with this as an issue and, and you're very, very conscious of it. But also, number two, um, like you say, you didn't know any better, so you'd never experienced failure, and therefore that kind of gave you, I assume, the confidence to say, Let's just go do it because you didn't know any other any other way. Definitely. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of um, of a fact that blew my mind that I learned recently, which is the average age of the people in mission control on the Apollo 11 uh, moon landing. The average age was uh, 26, oh. which is just insane. Uh, 26 or 27, but mid 20s. Um, and again, I think they really kind of fetishize youth there because they said that these guys don't know any different. So they've never failed at putting someone on the moon, so they're, they're going to go do it. How much did that mindset, do you think, influence the, the way that you took decisions and the way that you move forward? So much. I relate to what you just said. Um, you know, I think also being seven years now on the front lines of this movement, we've come upon so many different experiences, and a lot of um, these experiences weren't always good, and they develop you further um, where, you know, at 19 now, even I'm like, oh, would I have, would I still have the courage to start something like Biofossi Bags now, even though I'm not even 20 yet? That's the kind of mindset that I have. Um, but yet with the, the beauty of Biofossi Bags as well was that it was coming from such a place of excitement. I can't even explain it to you. You know, when my sister and I thought, okay, this is what we were going to do. It was really a passion project because we felt that we were going to do something powerful for our home, the home that gives us so much every single day. And this was the one thing that we could do. We thought, okay, maybe it could be a summer project, maybe last us, you know, a couple of weeks. But uh, seven years later, here we are. Um, and I think what we see now as well, you know, with more and more young people rising is that they use that um, excitement and that passion to really drive them forward. And we're not, we're not afraid uh, to look at, you know, the obstacles as a burden, but we rather see them as an opportunity. I've seen uh, through, you know, following um, your work, you've spoken to people at the World Bank, World Economic Forum, at the UN. Who would you say is the most important, most impressive person you've met first off? Maybe we can use them as a case study. Oh my gosh, this is such a hard question. Oh my goodness. There are so many people that I would love to put on this list right now. Um, I think one of the most uh, impressive people that I've met um, I, I must say that I really appreciated I think I was like about 17 turning 18 or so and I was meeting um, Jim Kim uh, from the World uh, Bank and he really uh, paid attention to me in a way where I really felt heard. Um, I must also say that uh, there have been several ministers here in Indonesia where I felt uh, that they really, you know, there was one moment when Minister um, Luhut, uh, coordinating minister of maritime affairs here in Indonesia, uh, where he invited me to a conference, uh, and it was a very closed, uh, small meeting where they were discussing the roadmap of 
what to do here in Indonesia regarding plastic pollution. And I remember I got a chair on the outskirts of the room and there were maybe about 28 people in the room. I was definitely the youngest and maybe one of the three only females in the room, which is a common situation for me to be in. Um, but, you know, I heard a lot of different pitches and a lot of different ideas. And I remember the moment that Luhut at, uh, Mr. Luhut, Minister Luhut at the top of the table turned his chair, looked at me, and he said, Mulati, what do you think? And I felt so empowered in that situation where I thought, you know what, if someone's going to offer me a platform to speak, this is where I have to be prepared. I have to not only be inspiring, but I have to come there with the facts, with the, a presentation and a solution. And I think that that's what young people, um, we have to be more wary of. Because again, going back to the age, we can't just use us being young as a tool to get us being heard. If we want to be heard and we want to get action, we actually have to be smart and think three times ahead of the game. What are the solutions we want? Right, because people like Jim Kim, you know, former president of the World Bank, he gets the world's problems dumped in his inbox every single morning. Right. Right. So how do you get him to pay attention or, or any uh, leader you speak to? How do you get him to pay attention to your problem? Exactly. And I think this is just trying to be the most, again, the most authentic person, the brightest um, in the room. And you also have to, to ask good questions. Um, I think that this is something, you know, that world leaders we don't often think about is that we also just want to have a conversation with them. Um, it's not always a pitch. It's not always a handshake. It's it's a connection that you have to build. And sometimes it's about sitting on the other side of the table and understanding the discussion you're in and not only pointing fingers. So that was a key learning for me as well with, when I engage with um, other higher authorities. And, uh, you know, when uh, you and your sister Isabel launched the, the movement, um, you really did... Um, amplify your voices to such an extent you know you amplified the impact that you too personally could have had you know millions of times over and achieved goals that no individual could have and all of that was at the grassroots level right Mm. so like how did you build this movement at the grassroots level was social media an important tool that you used how did you go about that honestly um lee i have no idea (laughs) you know it's still it's still beyond me to think back to the very first, you know, days that we got started with bioplastic bags, it was absolutely um, insane, you know, coming from an idea that we brainstormed at home on the couch, turning into this massive movement almost instantly overnight. What we did was, you know, after we established team, the first thing we wanted to do was really start a petition online. So we started one on Abaz and um, the next morning, just before school, it was my responsibility as the older sister to log in, refresh the page. And bam, within 24 hours, we had 6,000 signatures from around the world. And every time we refreshed that page, it would just grow and grow and grow. It was massive. That was really the first hitting point where we saw, okay, we're onto something and there's no turning back now. You know, the whole world agrees. We had people in Africa and Europe and America all signing this petition saying, yes, we agree, Bali should be plastic bag free. Um, but then, you know, social media... I just, you know, making that more relevant as well to to the day and age that we're living in right now. Social media, especially for our generation, is a massive tool of mobilization. With one click of a button, we're reaching thousands and millions. And when you do a call to action that's purposeful and meaningful, we felt that it was one of the most helpful tools for us to engage with our community. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Naysayers, of course, will talk about social media activism and kind of disparage it and say, oh, it's very easy to go on Twitter and say that you think that there should be no plastic bags and so on. But how are you actually going to do something about it? How did you get those voices, those signatures, uh, that kind of sentiment and turn it into action? What was your roadmap to go from, from one to the other? Yeah, I mean, I think for us also, whenever we did, whenever we use social media as a tool, I mean, even today, we like to combine um storytelling but with an action a call to action and the way the most effective way we saw this happening to turning it into action on an individual basis is if we could get the person in front of us to feel that they relate to the problem in the first place Um, because what we what we noticed and still today every time i step in front or post you know pre-covid 19 but every time i would step into a classroom or on stage and engage with students ceos general managers if they did not have that spark in their eye saying, ah, I know what you're talking about, the plastic pollution problem, they, they, I know that they would not go an extra mile to do something about changing the way they were going about their life. So the most effective way to turning, you know, social media posts or announcements or like call to actions like sign a petition was for people to get more involved and to take serious action was to make it relatable and personal. So really speaking to them, in their language, on their terms. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, this is where also um, whenever we have someone that doesn't agree, the most fascinating thing is to sit down and just ask them one question. Why? Because when we understand that, we can slowly, you know, unbox their understanding of why they don't want to change. And, you know, this really goes against the grain of the narrative of, you know, there being a lot of political apathy among younger generations, you seem to go, seem to be proof that that's not the case. I mean, do you see a good deal of apathy in, in, uh, among people your age or is that just the boomers talking? Well, no, I think that actually more and more, especially now, what we're realizing, um, is that after we take to the streets, after we yell our lungs out and hold cardboard boxes up, we now want to get involved with how regulation is being changed implemented, um, and so forth. So I think that young people are now starting to understand um, the importance of actually understanding um, political change. Um, but, but I don't think that that's our role necessarily. You know, I do think that our role as the younger generation is really to um, urge and convince and motivate um, and also just lead by example, you know, um, but I do think that where we are interested and we do follow and we do engage, we do vote, 
Um, you know, there's huge movements right now of getting more young people to vote. Um, but I don't think that that's our, our main priority or focus. I think we see our role more as being um, frontliners on leading by example ourselves, creating those grassroots communities and showing politicians, showing governments that, hey, if you're not going to do it, we're going to do it. And we've already started and look how good it works. Right. We don't need you to tell people to stop using plastic. We've already got all these people stopping using plastic. Exactly. We actually didn't need to. We didn't. We didn't need to pass a law. We, you know, we started a movement and convinced and talked talked to people on the, in their terms and said, told them how bad it was, and now yeah. they're on board. Exactly. I mean, I think that's always a, a really effective way. Even when when you struggle at seeing why is change on the larger scale not happening? Why can the system not change? Start building your own system and show prove that it works, then people can scale it. People will adopt it. I think that's one of the easiest ways that, you know, with our uh, young generation kind of fed up, waiting is over. Let's just get to action. That's one of the best ways to get started. Something you've definitely shown is the power of small actions, right? And, and how what you do affects the world around you. So, you know, how do you get across your message to people who just aren't on board with that? Don't share that mindset. Well, so... A couple of things here. I was recently um, on another uh, online panel, a digital panel, um, and someone brought up the, the topic of exactly this, right? But what's really interesting right now with COVID-19 is that because we've had the time to pause, there's less flights going around. There's, you know, people are being a lot more conscious as to, well, the people that are in the environmental world are being a lot more conscious of, you know, their produce we're seeing more animals coming out and all of a sudden that question of what if everybody just paused or stopped doing flights or just stopped doing uh you know a bunch of buying of plastic products and throwing it everywhere or burning it everywhere what if everyone just paused for a second COVID-19 is showing us exactly this that nature on its own is going to thrive it is thriving um, and I think, you know, for the people that don't know that their individual action doesn't count, then I think that this is a really good example for them to take a look outside the window or go on social media and see all of the things that are happening right now just because we're taking the time. There's dolphins in Venice because there's no cruise ships polluting it. Like these kinds of examples. Exactly. Do you think, do you think that... Are you optimistic, though, that those lessons will be learned, or do you think we're going to go back to business as normal? Well, this is the thing as well that I'm really worried about, actually, because I'm I'm confused. I don't really know how to answer this question. I hope we don't go back to business as usual. I hope that we learn that perhaps business as usual was the problem, you know? And the thing is that my question is really, is COVID-19 enough? How much longer does it need to last? for us to actually change. And um, this for me is a question that I think only time can tell. Um, and, you know, it, it depends. I, I really don't know. No, I don't think anyone does. Yeah. Uh, I think it just depends on how optimistic you are as an individual uh, at, the, at the moment. Uh, there's so much uncertainty in the world. Um, but one thing that is certain is is the power of those small actions, and which is demonstrated through the impact that you know you guys have had so far with uh, with changing legislation in your native uh, Indonesia and, and so on. Um, and what you've learned with that has really fed into your new projects, right? Um, Youthopia. Can you tell me a little bit about that? That's very, really in its early days, I believe. 
Yes, so Utopia is our new project, and um, you know this really comes from a place of after seven years of bioplastic bags on the front lines, speaking to over seventy-five thousand students with fifty teams around the world, um, we really saw this this hunger in our generation, this potential, this growing passion within our generation to get involved and to get on the front lines. But the biggest question we were always asked after a presentation was, "How can we do what you do?" Right. And this is just simply because the education system as it is now, the traditional schooling system, is so outdated and traditional. It's not keeping up with the changes that we see in our world. So kids of our generation are not being motivated to be part of the bigger picture, to be part of the problems and the solutions happening in their relevant world. So what Utopia, which was launched earlier this year in Davos at the World Economic Forum, um, what Utopia aims to do is create short and meaningful peer-to-peer programs to inspire our generation with the relevant tools and skills that they need to be young change makers. So obviously the decision to create uh, Bye-Bye Plastic Bags in the first place was an incredibly important decision that you made on your journey. Aside from that, is there one decision that you and your sister Isabel made at any point in the journey that you can pinpoint as the most pivotal in the impact that you've made so far? Wow, the most, hmm. I think, I mean, there are many examples, but I think just to, to shift gears, I, obviously Utopia, the decision to actually go ahead with that is huge because the entire vision of it is to empower more young people. But um, on a more like tangible level, I think one of the decisions we made was when we actually did get this, governor to sign um, the commitment to make Bali plastic bag free, we suddenly had a piece of paper that would build such a big momentum and we knew we didn't want to do that alone. So we created One Island, One Voice, which is a people-powered movement here on the island of Bali that basically channels all of the momentum and all of the contacts, all of the growth that Bye Bye Plastic Bags was doing as the two sisters and channels it to One Island, One Voice, which has an umbrella of partners here on the island where we work with over half a thousand businesses, where we work with like-minded partners. And through that work, I think we've seen so much impact happening on the island of Bali. We're most popular for our two big events or two big campaigns. One of them is Bali's biggest cleanup. So over the past four years, we've mobilized 45,000 people to clean up their local areas in one single day collecting over, I think, 350 tons of plastic. So that's huge. And our second initiative is uh, the commitment campaign. And this is really where we target uh, local businesses here on Bali to eliminate single-use plastics. And our goal is by mid this year to have a 1,000 of them signed, whether you're a spa or a gym, whatever. Um, this is where we really see the most tangible impact and something that we're really proud of that we started because, you know, we could have stayed with bioplastic bags, focusing on just single-use plastic bags. But instead, I think one of the most powerful decisions we made um, is actually to help channel all of the momentum we were getting to help other organizations that were like-minded. And I think out of that came so much more than we could have achieved alone. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, so many business models are start with one strong product idea uh, and then build it from there, you know, have, have one focus, one thing that you, everybody rallies around and then, and then, and then broaden, right? So that, that, yeah. that totally makes sense. Yeah. 
What about on on the flip side? What is uh, what kind of one of the hardest lessons you 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 had to make? One of the hardest lessons uh, that you learned on your journey. The hardest lessons that I learned and still probably I'm learning today is that things don't always go the way you want. Um, you know, and that's really where the the practice of persistence and commitment comes in. Um, continuing to walk your talk, I think, um, was a ha- not hard, uh, you know, but it was it was challenging to see and to work with larger institutions that wouldn't move as fast or um, you know implement the change as fast. And I think that as a young change maker was a lot of. Um, there came a lot of frustration out of that waiting time. Um, And I think that that was something that I struggled with the most, especially like when I was 14, 15, uh, I was entering like 11th grade or 10th grade. What is that? Just into high school and um, juggling bioplastic bags at the same time. That was one of the most frustrating things because banning plastic bags should not have taken seven years. Right. Yeah. I mean, governments are the slowest to move. Right. So if you can come with a with a complete like a full deck of cards, right. then things move a bit quicker. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also industry, though. I do not want to leave them out because if we look at the plastic industry alone, it's a billion dollar in, uh, uh, industry. So that's we're up against a lot here. Um, but it is government as well. And I think um, what we have to be mindful as well is that what we experienced here is that um, oftentimes you know, they just wouldn't know where to start. And if we didn't have the patient to, patience to sit on the table and listen to them, I don't think we would be either where we are today because that time to foster and build the relationship, to build the connection, and to build the understanding of exactly where we are at to reach our goal, if that doesn't happen, that initial conversation doesn't happen, the ongoing conversation doesn't happen, then we're basically still at square one. So what I'm saying is reach out to your local um, authorities, your representatives, and you may be surprised. They may be struggling with exactly the same question. Where do we start? The last couple of questions from me. Um, this is a question that I ask to everybody um, in one form or another. So there are a lot of young people around the world that are standing up for what they believe in, and 99% of them their movements or their ideas don't have the traction the mm. plastic bags had, uh, which obviously started you on your journey. What's the difference you think that made your movement as impactful as it has been when others won't reach that level of impact? They're all very similar um, or they're not focused enough. Um, and what I mean by that is take plastic bags for an example. Uh, we could have said we ended at bye-bye plastic or bye-bye single-use plastics all, right? Uh, Overnight, here are two sisters on Bali, and we say, enough, we hate plastic, we don't want to have any more of it, we think that we should ban all plastic. Um, I think we would never have gotten one meeting with the government, nor would we have gotten uh, any legit uh, respect from interviewers or scientists or, you know, representatives. So I think... You know, being part of the younger generation, what we have to do is become more focused. We don't have to change the whole world overnight because there are also, we are not alone. There are so many young people focusing on their pieces of the puzzle. Focus on your piece. Make it tangible impact. Have a starting date and have an end goal. What are those steps that you want to achieve? Uh, what are those steps that you need to achieve to get to there? Who do you need to talk to? 
Um, and these kind of, you know, topics are also what we're going to be teaching in Utopia because this is basic skills of activism 101. Change is incremental, huh? And you guys are really very much the embodiment of that. Fantastic. Final question. Um, so you started this movement and you started your uh, life as an activist, as a change maker at 12. Uh, you're now the grand old age of 19. What advice do you have for the 12 year olds today in what they should be doing and how they should be making an impact and how they should be uh, organizing themselves? Find your passion. Speak from the heart. Um, and always make sure that you're excited about it. Don't let the fear consume you or overwhelm you. Take a deep breath and appreciate the, the little steps and celebrate them. Um, because I think what's important is that you're pacing yourself. Pace yourself because it's a long stretch ahead. It's exciting. It's got a lot of ups and downs, but it's all really worth it. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Malati. Yay, thank you. That's it for another episode of Crazy Smart Asia. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And please do leave us a review and a rating while you're there. Gen Y is to connect young leaders across Asia. If you know someone who would resonate with these stories and take something from them, please do share the podcast and help bring them in to our growing community of change makers. You can also follow Generation T on Instagram. We're at Generation T underscore Asia and Facebook. And check out our website, GenerationT.Asia, for more on the people, businesses, and ideas shaping Asia's future. I'm your host, Tamara Lemonier. See you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.